Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more information about Alive Church, please visit alivechurchoc.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform by typing in Alive Church OC. This is one of the messages I love the most. And one of the messages I feel is so crucial uh, to the body of Christ and in times such as this. But last week, how many of you enjoyed the service? How many of you remember what is the title of the message? It says it is the glory of the house, right? Pastor Derek preached the glory of the house. The presence of God came powerfully, ministered to us deeply. Many of us were in tears, right? If you remember the first point, it says the church is the house of prayer. Everyone say prayer. So this is a place where people learn to pray. And through their prayer, pull down heaven here on earth. Every Sunday, that is our objective, to pull down heaven here on earth. If, if heaven is not here, then what is the difference between here and out there? And this is, a church is a house for the people. God loves people. And when we love people, when we reverend God, what happens? God stamps His name on our wall. God comes and set His throne in the midst of His people. When that happens, number three, it becomes a place of power. Everyone say power. power. And that's what we want to see, guys. Because when God comes, He has no choice but to release His power. Because wherever God is, signs and wonders are there. The supernatural things of God. Healing is found in the house. People are set free from anxiety, from fear, from depression. People step out of poverty into a place of prosperity because the river of God is flowing. And when that happens, this becomes a house of praise. Because you cannot but praise God because of all the wonderful things he has done. How many of you have encountered God and your lives has changed? Can you wave at me? Big wave so that heaven can see, yes. But I want to say this. Not every church is a house of God. A church is only a house of God when Jesus is the head of the church. Not the pastor, definitely not every one of us. Jesus is the head of the church. The church then becomes the house of God. Amen? And the church is an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So if, if, if we are the extension of his ministry, we need to understand what is his ministry all about. If you have attended Getting Started, I know all the cell group leaders have been, connect group leaders have been going through the Getting Started. I want to reiterate again quickly, bring it through, all right? Four things about Jesus, I believe, ministry. Number one, the ultimate purpose of Jesus' coming is to reveal the Father. John 17, 25 to 26, he says, Righteous Father, they do not know you, but I know you. But they know that you have sent me, right? And I will make you known and will continue to make you known so that the love that you have for me, that they will experience also. So Jesus didn't come to just declare that God is the Father. He wants to demonstrate to us how much the Father truly, truly loves us. Number two, Jesus' ministry is Father-centered. John 8, verse 27, 29, it says, He who sent me is in, in me. 
My Father has not left me alone, but I always do those things that please Him. A house of God, our ministry here, must always center on pleasing the Father. Whatever we do, we must please the Father. Number three, knowing Jesus is the way to the Father, the only way. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, who is your Father? Jesus said, if you have known me, you have known the Father. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there comes a point in time in your journey with Jesus where you become totally sold out, bonded to the Lord. At that point, you become aware of the deep love that your Father has for you. The depth, the width, the, the strength of that love overwhelm you. Number four. That's why, that's why in John 14, let's backtrack. John 14 verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way only. He is not the ultimate uh, destination. We must go beyond the cross of Calvary to meet with our Father in heaven. Amen? He is the way to the Father. Number four, Jesus was urgent to reveal the fatherhood of God. When he knew that his timeline was short, he intentionally gathered his disciples together and in John 17, preached the most important message of his ministry. And in that prayer, he referred to God as the Father six times in one prayer. He wants to reveal to you and I that God, the Almighty God in heaven, is our Father, our ever-Father, our daddy God. This word, the, the reference of God as the Father, was mentioned in the Old Testament only four times. But in the New Testament, it was mentioned 250 times. So you understand that this attribute of God as the Father is not just one of the attributes. It is the central theme of which colors and shapes the rest of the attributes of God. If you know God as the peace, God as your peace, God as your protector, God as your victory banner, but you do not know God, intimately have a revelation that God is your dear, dear Father. Then you have fallen short of the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is the most exciting message of our Christian faith. And that is, you have an almighty God in heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, who is a loving father to you. And all God's people say, yeah. let's give God a big hand. Paul, in addressing the Ephesians church, he said in chapter 3, he said, I bow my knees to the Father of which all family on heaven and earth is named. So where does the fatherhood originate? Fatherhood originates in heaven. The name father in the Greek word is called pata. And pata, that's where we derive the word paternal. And from pata, we have the word patria, which is family. So what makes a family? A father. Everyone say father. So true family life can only be fully appreciated in the light of the fatherhood of God. If you are a single mom sitting here, if you are a single mother listening to this message, 
I want to tell you this, that if you fully embrace God as the heavenly father, then the word of God says he will be the father to the fatherless. That you do not need to feel that you've been shortchanged. You do not need to feel inadequate because the father will stand in the gap for you. When a church exalts Jesus, it becomes a house of God. But when a house of God demonstrates the Father's love, it becomes a family of God. When we come to this time of Christmas, we like to quote Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. I want you to take a closer look at this passage. It says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Everyone say Everlasting Father. Without the revelation and experience of God as your Father, do you know your, your relationship with God is always distant and superficial? And to know God as your Father is to experience the intense love that Jesus feels that Jesus experienced when the Father loves him. This is really the climax of our Christian experience. So we need to continuously pursue Jesus till we fully embrace and have a revelation that you are not spiritual orphans, that you have been fully adopted by your Father in heaven, and your Father in heaven is crazy. Yes, he is crazy in love with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, the father is crazy about you. So when does this love start? Where the giving of Jesus is the epitome, the apex, the full demonstration of that love. The love of the father started from the beginning to the beginning, which is the book of Genesis, all the way to the last book, which is the book of Revelation. So we are, I'm going to bring you through a journey of 4,000 years in 30 minutes. 4,000 years in 30 minutes. Are you ready? Put on your seatbelt and let's go. I want to show you how the Father loves you so much in the book of Genesis in His creation. He created you with His hands. Every creation was spoken into existence. But when He creates men, He formed Adam with His hands. And then the Bible says he breathed into his nostril the breath of life. Take a deep breath with me. That is the breath of God. And the Bible says he created us in his image and likeness. Just like God, we are triune. We are a spirit with a soul living in a body. We are creative we are communicative, we are intelligent, and we are relational. Turn to your neighbor and say, wow, you look like God. <laughs> Not only that, he created everything for our pleasure and our provision. Look at Genesis 2 verse 9. And I want you to all read this together with me, with gusto. All right, ready? One, two, three. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So look at this verse carefully. 
God did not just plant one tree. Apple for breakfast, apple for lunch, apple for dinner. He grew, he planted so many different kinds of trees so that Adam and Eve have options what they want to eat and so that they can sever all the flavors in their mouth. My husband is a foodie. He loves to try all sorts of different food. And even though he was sick last night, he decided that he wants to cook something. And then we went to the store and got, you know, we have an appetite. Where did it come from? God created that. And not only that, God was intentional to make sure that whatever trees that he planted in the garden was aesthetically pleasing. That means when you look at it, you say, wow, wow. You see how intentional God is. That God loves us and he wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy what he has created. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to know that we are treasured and we are valued. In that same verse, he singled out two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, of course, when you eat of the fruit, you live forever. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says, when you eat of it, you shall surely die. My question to you is this, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil? Come on, let's be confident. How many of you say it's evil? <laughs> so you all say it's good. Nothing that God creates is evil. All right, I'm going to unfold it for you. Now, does, so when God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree, is it because God doesn't want Adam and Eve to know the difference between good and evil? Yes or no? Do you think God wants you to know the difference between good and evil? Yes. So I want you to see, number two, even in his instructions to Adam and Eve, God really has us in mind. That our Father so cared for us that he instructs us not to do something. You see, God's original intention was never for you to experience evil through experience, but through divine revelation. If you are a mother here, you definitely do not want your child to get burnt to know that playing with fire is to be avoided. Am I right? In the same way, God instructed Adam so that he can learn to respect the limit imposed. There are boundaries God wants to impose in your life to develop the discipline. God wants Adam to discipline them himself to abstain, to obey. God wants Adam to recognize, listen out here, to recognize all that is opposed to God's will is an evil to be avoided. Do you know God's will? Oh, okay. I know you are processing what I'm saying. Through his voluntary resistance to yield to, to temptation, Adam would develop true freedom. Everyone say true freedom. And what is true freedom? True freedom is the ability to choose good in the midst of evil. And when he learned to discern evil without participating in it, he would have developed a godlike revelation of good and evil. But when Adam failed and eat of the fruit, the power vested in that tree manifested in a different way. And Adam experienced evil through his guilty conscience. 
And because he opened himself up to evil, death sets in. Let me tell you, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not poison. It's not evil. Neither is the fruit poison. But what God intended to use this tree to teach us how to abstain, to attain true freedom, became a sham liberty of sin. All because, listen up, man choose to obtain what God has given to him his way rather than God's way. Man choose to lay hold of everything God has for us, our way rather than his way. As it is in the Garden of Eden, so it is today. Men are still trying to find happiness, trying to find success, trying to find influence, trying to find their identity apart from God. In fact, trying to find God apart from the one true God. God intended that through that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that men, you and I, will be masters of temptation from above and not slaves to sin from beneath. So in his creation, he shows us how much we are valued. In his instruction, it shows the heart of a father to protect the children. But what about separating? Because we know when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened next? God took them out of the Garden of Eden. And we have been preached to and told for many years. That was because they disobeyed God. And so God took them out. It was a punishment. But I want you to see from the scripture, look at it from a different pair of lens. And to know that even in his separation, it was because of his kindness. Genesis 3 verse 22, 24. It says, then the Lord God says, behold, the man has become like one of us. To know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim, angels, at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword around every way to guard the tree of life. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they were no longer... Have, they no longer have access to the tree of life. But by barring the tree, I want you to see that God was compassionate towards humankind because He knows if you and I were to live forever without escape, a life plagued with sorrow, pain, toil, that would be a terrible life. By limiting our lifespan, God allowed us during this time to come to know Him, to come through Jesus, to reconnect back with Him in our spirit. But yet, we do not have to live forever in sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, God really loves you. I want to say this. It is not sin that separates God from you. No. It was what sin produced on the inside of you that separated you from God. One more time. I know you may not understand what I'm saying. It was never ever sin that separated God from you. It was what was produced on the inside because of sin that you separated yourself from God. How do we know? Let's look at Adam. God did not hide from Adam. 
do you know it was Adam who hid from God? Because when Adam sinned, God still came to the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Now, you know that the moment Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, what came? First thing that came into their life, shame. Everyone says shame. shame. And that's what we feel. Most of the time, we are battled with shame. And so when they became ashamed of themselves, they took fig leaves and covered themselves. And that was not enough. They have to hide behind the bushes. And it's still the same. Today, men are still using fig leaves to cover themselves. What are the fig leaves? Your success, the big cars you drive, the house you have, the dress you, you are wearing, the makeup, the number, of, the number of lights in your social media, even your ministry are fig leaves. Position in church, fig leaves. They all make you feel a sense of worth. But yet, without the true revelation that you are your father's beloved daughter or son, you will never come out of the bushes. And there in the Garden of Eden was the first animal ever sacrificed and atonement there in the garden. That God has to slay the first animal, skin that animal, and when he did that, Adam and Eve were willing to come out and meet with the Father. God did not hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. And a few chapters later, we saw Adam's son, Cain. Cain was the first murderer in the history of the Bible. He killed his brother in jealousy. And so God came and confronted Cain. And Cain not only did not, did not acknowledge, did not repent, he denied it and he even lied to God. Surely God will punish a murderer and a liar. But do you know God had great compassion. When Cain asked God to mock him, stamp a mark on him. Because in the law of the land, when you take a life, you pay a life. So Cain was afraid and asked God to protect him by stamping a mark on him. Do you know God did that? But in Genesis 4, you read, Cain left the presence of God. God did not leave Cain. Cain left God. You see, you cannot leave what you do not have. But today, there are still many Cains out there. Sons and daughters of God who have given their life to God. They have been marked by God. But yet they have left the presence of God. They, have do, they are doing life on their own, taking control of their life on their own. You agree? You agree, say amen. amen. Agree, say amen. amen. I want you to understand this. And many people ask me before, Pastor Susan, if God loves us so much, why are there so many Christians who are suffering, who seem to have no recourse in their situation? Let me tell you, uh, there are times when God tests us and God brings us through a process of preparation. But many a times, it's because these sons and daughters, though they bear the mark of Christ, they are not living in the presence of God. They are not following God's way. You understand that God's protection comes in His presence. So if we leave God's presence, then we are subjected to the toiling of the world, to the, the torment of this world. 
So we need to understand what is the principle here. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's get the canes back. Yeah, some of you may be thinking about Cain's chicken after Sunday. <laughs> and God continually provided sacrifices so that men can come, right? So God would ordain them to sacrifice things when they come and approach and inquire from the Lord. Am I right? Yeah. Do you know the temple in the synagogue is the most horrendous place? It is not pretty sight. Because all the animals are slaughtered there at the, temp at, at the altar. The animals will be screaming because they know they are about to be slaughtered. Have you ever heard an animal scream because they know that they're going to be killed? Dwayne said he has. Well, I had too. Many years, I had, I had. Many years ago when I was a young child, my, my mom decided, I don't know why they want to do that, but they want to kill the rabbits, my pet rabbit, and make it in the stew. I hid myself in my room because I could hear the screaming of the rabbits screaming for their lives. So the temple is where all the animals are slaughtered. There were screams of animals and the stench of blood at the altar. I want to ask you this question. Do you think God delights to hear the screaming of animals? That God delights to smell the stench of blood? Why did God ordain sacrifice? He ordained sacrifice not because He needs it, because you needs it. Because men still are overwhelmed with evil conscience that they needed the sacrifice in order to come back to the presence of God. So understand, Hebrews 10, 22. That's why God says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with water. You see what happens when sin enters your life? It awakens evil conscience. It awakens a consciousness of you not being good enough. And that's what we all struggle day in and day out. That we're not good enough. That we're not good enough. But God, but God wants us to stop feeling that way. That is why He also showed us in His provision 2,000 years ago. And why we celebrate Christmas? Because we celebrate the understanding that God has provided once and for all a sacrifice that is good enough. And that is Jesus Christ, the final atonement. Through one man, sin entered the world. But through another man, Jesus Christ, redemption is made available and forgiveness is available for us all. God's war with man's sin is over. If you still feel you're not good enough, then something is amiss in your relationship with God. Your understanding of the power of the blood, the finished work of Christ on the cross. But most importantly, I think, is your misconception of your Father's love. God tore the veil so that you can come in into the Holy of Holies. So why are we still staying in the holy place? Why are we staying in the outer court? 
God nailed shame on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. The shame that was invoked when Adam sinned, that same shame, Jesus nailed it on the cross. The Father nailed it on the cross so that you and I can come boldly out of the bushes without shame. Regardless of how naked you are. Regardless of the issues that you struggle. Regardless of your past. Regardless of even the sin that you have right now. Or the addiction you have right now. Regardless. Because you did not come on your own fig leaves covering. But you came covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's give God a big hand. James 4 verse 8. I want you to read this together with me. Ready? One, two, three. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. So I don't want you to be double-minded. Alive church. Did Jesus die for you? Not loud enough. Did Jesus die for you? Yes. Is Jesus' blood enough for you? Yes. Then why are we still hiding behind the bushes? Why are we still practicing religion? Why are we still using things in this world to prop us up? We need to come clean and come boldly. There's no end to you struggling with a sense of not good enough. Do you know when you struggle with the sense of not good enough, you know what is actually happening? What is actually happening is you're not putting on Christ. You're coming to face God on your own. And that's why you don't feel you're good enough. Hebrews 10, 38, it says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Look at this verse. It says, if anyone draws back, that means God doesn't want you to draw back. God wants you to come out from the bushes. God wants you to face him, face to face, good and bad all together. He loves everything about you. Yes, he hates sin, but he loves everything about you. And the only thing that makes him unhappy is that you will draw back into the bushes after what he has done for you. After all that he took the trouble to send his son to die on the cross for you, and yet you still want to remain in the bushes. Do you know there's no more recourse? Jesus is the final atonement. If that's not good enough for you, then nothing is good enough for you. There is no salvation after that. There's no redemption after that. That is the final, final atonement. So God shows His love for us in creation, in His instruction, in His provision. And God shows His love for us in the solution, the solution to bring us back to Him eventually. John 6, verse 56 to 58. He says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the loving, living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. 
not as your father ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. There you have it. Something that you eat will live forever. That reminds you of what? The tree of life in the Garden of Eden. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, my Father loves you so much that He would take the tree out of the garden in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can eat the fruit now and live forever. First in the spirit, then in the flesh. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55 says. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? My father sent his son so that you no longer have to be afraid of death. Like Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain because we get to be reunited with our Father. But from what I see today, is many have bore the mark of Christ, but many have lost their ways. And that is exactly what God, our Father, doesn't want it to happen. So He sent the Holy Spirit. John uh, 14, He sends His Holy Spirit, and this is what He says, If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have the Holy Spirit. What God wants to do through the Holy Spirit is to help men do what Adam failed to do. What Adam failed to do is fail to choose good in the midst of evil. But you and I, through the help of the Holy Spirit, can choose good even in evil. Everyone lift out your hands and say, I have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of my Father. He will help me to choose good and not evil. He will help me to live victoriously. You see, this is a foolproof plan of your father. Send his son so that you are covered by the blood, you will come out and meet him. Send the Holy Spirit so when you yield to the Holy Spirit, you will live victoriously and not get lost in this world. You see, our Christian journey starts with faith. But it doesn't, it, faith in, not, in itself cannot sustain you. It starts with faith, but it must be supported by yieldedness. Yielding to God all the time, yielding to God all the time. And when you yield to God, you will come into rest. From faith to yieldedness to restedness. When you rest, you know that you are now your father's son. When you do not know you are your father's son, that's what is happening right now. We have so many believers, but all spiritual orphans, all trying to prove their worth, all trying to protect themselves, provide for themselves. They cannot trust God. You see, our father's greatest pursuit is intimacy with us. 
Four truths about intimacy with God. Number one, intimacy with God, with you, is God's greatest pursuit. Just like it should be your greatest pursuit, it is God's greatest pursuit. Do you know God will spare no effort? God will not relent. His role is to rewire you on the inside of you so that you will come after Him, so that you will desire for Him, so that you will trust Him. He is fully committed to rewire you and keep rewiring you until you come. Number two, intimacy with God is a God-given birthright for all humanity. Our Father loves all people. Black, white, red, and yellow, whatever, polka dot. He loves them all. Every nation, every tongue, He loves them all. They are all created with His image and likeness. First Timothy 2 verse 4 says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth of what? The truth that we have a Father who is totally, totally devoted to us. You see, salvation, the purpose of salvation is intimacy with God. It is not a fire insurance. It is not a ticket to heaven. And what is heaven really? If the intimacy with God is not restored. Truth number three. Intimacy with God takes trust, not just time. No matter how many years you sit here in the church, if you don't make a decision to trust God, you will not grow. And that's why you feel your spiritual life stagnant. You feel your spiritual life stagnant because you don't trust God. And you can be reading your Bible. If you don't trust God, the Word cannot come alive. You cannot appropriate the promises of God. You cannot receive the blessing of God because you don't trust God. And when you don't trust God, you don't trust people, you don't trust church, you don't trust leaders, you don't trust pastors. And no matter which church you go to, you often feel out of place. So afraid that people will take advantage of you. So afraid that that, you know, you, you, you will not be recognized. So afraid that you're going to waste, you're going to waste your time, waste your life, waste your money. You see, over and over again, we still keep choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In our finance, we choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In our relationship, we choose the tree of the knowledge in good and evil. We take control of how our relationship is going to look like. Even though God says, do not fornicate, do not defile the marriage bed, but we do it anyway because we want to pursue happiness. Look at what it did to the body of Christ. Look at what it did to the nation of America. It's time that we examine our life. Because we have been saved so that we can continuously choose the tree of life. Yeah. Last but not least, truth number four. Intimacy with God helps us to redeem others with our love. When you know you have a father, the creator of heaven and earth, 
who is so crazy about you, who is doing everything in his possible, in, in, possible, everything that he can think of so that he will not be disconnected with you, so that you can come out of the bushes and meet him, so that he can endow you and, and overwhelm you with his goodness. How can you then still stay in the bushes, behind the bushes? But when you know someone loves you so much, and let me tell you, if you are single here, rather than keep looking for love at wrong places and wrong faces, go into your prayer, prayer closet and find the love of your father. Because that love no man can give you. Same thing with the man here. There's no love. No matter how intense the love you have, husband and wife, the Father's love still trumps them all. And because you love your Father and you know you are loved, you can love even when that person does not deserve it. You can love even when it's inconvenient. You can love even when it's painful because that love didn't come from you. It came from our Father. First John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, that's the beautiful thing when we understand <laughs> that we are so loved because it takes away all your fears. Fear that your marriage will not work out. Fear of your future. Fear of your finance. Fear of where this world is spiraling into because we know we have a great father there. Many years ago, I had an encounter with the father. At that point in time, I was already a believer. I was, you know, already a pastor. You see, when I grew up, I grew up without a father. I was born out of wedlock. I've never knew my father. I never know my father and I, I do not know what it means to be loved by a dad. But I know I have a heavenly father and I thank God I have a heavenly father. And I pray often to my heavenly father and I know he loves me. But many years ago, I was attending a conference and in that conference, the presence of God was so tangible. We praised and it was glorious. And when the worship opens up the atmosphere, I found myself on my knees, overwhelmed by the love that I felt in my heart. Tears fell, big tears. It was tears of just being loved. I, was, I felt like in that vision, I was the woman that broke the flask at the feet of Jesus. And I was at the feet of Jesus. And I, as I was worshiping, I felt led to lift up my head in that, in that vision. 
to lift out my head to look at my Lord. And when I lifted up my head, I knew that was not Jesus I was staring at, but it was my Father. And out of that deep love that I felt, I heard myself utter, Dad, Dad. You see, that was not me because I've never called anyone Dad. I do not know how it felt, how it feels to be loved like a, like a precious princess. But there on my knees, I fell for the first time. The deep, intense love for my, for my father. And you know, what shocked me was what God spoke to me then. My father said to me, Susan, you are finally home. You are finally home. Change the trajectory of my walk with God. I was finally free. Free from having to prove my worth. Free from living in the expectation of people. Free to lead myself, free to worship God, free to follow Him with all my heart, free to lay down everything in spite of, despite of, free. That's what happens to you when you meet your Father. You no longer need to prove anything. You no longer need to hide anything. Because you know you are eternally loved. Whether you are married or single or divorced, 
you are eternally loved. Whether you are rich or poor, you are eternally loved. Whether you know where you are going, what you are going to do, you are eternally loved. That's what happens when you meet with your Father. And it is time for us to not hide ourselves behind the bushes, to come up and meet Him and to let Him embrace us with His great love. You see, the greatest goal of our Father is not just to have a heart-to-heart connection while we are here on earth, that eventually He wants to bring us back to be reunited with Him in person. I, will, I promise you to go from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. I want to read to us in Revelation 21, verses 3 to 7. And he says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I will give up the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcome shall inherit all things, and I will be their God, and he shall be my son. Isn't this the greatest story ever told? Love story. Greater than any Disney movies. Greater than Twilight Zone. Come on. Yeah, rolling eyes emoji. Greatest love story ever told. Stand up on your feet right now. I want you to understand the love of the Father is so important that in all our pursuit, we must pursue the revelation of that kind of love because it is only when you know your Father and have received the love of your Father that you will be fully found in His house first in your heart right now while you are here on earth. And when Jesus comes back for all of us, we will come back to our Father in heaven. This is where you make your home. This is where you come home with your Father in your heart. So in a moment's time, I want to open up the altar. I want you to come forward. I want you to come. If you know there's still things that you need to deal with, in this respect of trusting God as your Father, then come to the altar.
and ministry people can just take your position. And if you are going through a hard time in life, just as what I read in Revelation, that God wants to wipe away your every tear. God wants to cover you with His love. God wants to strengthen you as you go through life. Just come forward and let the ministry people pray for you and minister to you the love of the Father as Sophia sings us this song.
anyone you're watching online, just receive his love right now. God is touching people. Pray for healing, God. Breaking off wrong mindsets, breaking off ungodly beliefs. Call it your love. Fill every single person watching right now. Touch their heart. Healing come. Come on, just let the tears flow. Just let God touch you right now. Receive his love. Receive his love. this pursuit of the Father is not just a one-time event, but it 
eternity till, till Christ comes back. Amen. We say that Jesus is the tree of life. But I want you to see from, um, from another verse in John 15 verse 5. He says, and Jesus says, I am the vine. If I can have the verse up, please, chorus board. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So right now, we are all grafted in into this tree of life, which means that you, 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 you are over there. You are all the extension of the tree of life. So during this Christmas season, I don't want you to just go and invite people to come and watch a Christmas service. I want you to go out as true sons and daughters of God and avail your fruits for someone to eat. Where do you find the fruit of your life? Through your words. Your words is the fruit of life. Share with them what Jesus did for you. Expose religion in our territory. Because many people will tell you, I'm a Christian. But the next, you shouldn't stop that. You should say, you are a Christian. So do you follow Jesus? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Do you have relationship with the body of Christ? Do you understand the intense love God has for you, the Father has for you? If they cannot fully assure you that they have, you need to tell them, then you need to come back to the Father. You need to re be you reunited with the Father's children. Be reunited with the house of God. The spirit of religion has covered our territory. And many people think that they are okay because they have the muck. They bear the muck, but they are suffering because they are not in the Father's house. So will you bring them this Christmas? Yes, bring a cane. Bring a cane to the house of God. I am not saying the walking stick, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, bring a cane to the house of God. Lift up your hands and I want to pray for you. Father, I pray, oh God, in a live church, I come against every spirit, every orphan spirit. I pray, oh God, there will be no orphans in my house, in our house. There will be no orphans here. That every man will be a son, every daughter, every woman will be a daughter of God. That we will be fully, oh, and God, by your love, we will have a revelation of how deep, how wide, how strong our Father's love is for us. That we will go forth and be bold. We will not be afraid. And we will bring the lost in. We will bring our the prodigal sons in. We will bring the prodigal daughters in. We will fill this house with lifted hands. We will fill this house with holy hands, holy people. This house, oh Lord, shall be called a house of my Father. We thank you, Lord. Everyone lift up your hands and say, My Father, send me. Send me. Send me to the world. Send me to the world. And help me bring them in. And help me bring them in. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your love. I pray that you will continue. I pray that you will continue. Reveal your love for me. 